Hello, my friend. Welcome to today's podcast episode. And you guys know I am very picky when it comes to podcast guests. Today is a special guest because it is somebody that I have known from the network marketing industry for a long time, but the only, really the only motherhood parenting podcast that I now follow. When I was a new mom and even before I became a mom, I was consuming so much mom advice and it was helpful until it wasn't. Kelly has been a sound source for me of insight and hindsight in motherhood. And today we're going to be talking about this concept of B minus parenting. This is the first time and the only person that I've ever heard talk about B minus parenting is Kelly. I'm also going to be asking her for giving wisdom and golden nuggets to ladies in different stages of motherhood. So whether you have a newborn and infant, or if you're in the preteen stage, I want you to walk away with some insight, hindsight, and wisdom from this episode. Kelly is the host of Harmony in the Home. And if you subscribe and follow her podcast, you'll see her podcast titles are very like, oh, Kelly, what do you mean by that? Like what? I love her podcast episode titles. They, I click on them because every time I'm like, what does she even mean by that? And every episode I listen to of Kelly's, I feel like, I feel like she's just that mom friend Um, and mom wisdom support that we all need you know she doesn't bring shame she doesn't sit on a throne like a high horse throne of this is how you do parenting and there is no other way or you're going to completely mess up your kids and so that's why I wanted to bring this topic of B minus parenting because it's something that Kelly talks about in multiple multiple episodes but just the episodes alone that I listen to of Kelly's I feel very empowered as a mom. I feel like I can give myself grace. I feel like I can walk away with some really great practical tips and resources. And Kelly and I are going to have a great conversation and I hope you enjoy it. All right, guys, you know, I already introed her, but I have a special guest on today. Kelly, welcome to the Living in Sync podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and so honored. Wow. This is great because as I told the listeners already and told you already, you are one of the only parenting podcasts that I now listen to. And we're going to roll right in and talk about the biggest concept that gave me a sense of peace, a sense of relief and grace when you, in the first time I ever heard it and heard you talk about B minus parenting forever changed my life. And I know that sounds dramatic, but I came into motherhood wanting to be like perfect parent Polly, wanting to do all of the things right. And then listening to you, your episodes, your resources, your wisdom as a mom and as a previous educator, I attached myself to B minus parenting. So will you explain that to the listeners? I will. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad that's helped you because it's also helped us so much to take the pressure off because we go into motherhood with such high expectations that we're going to be the perfect mom and we see social media and what, whatever your journey was to get to parenthood and to be a mom or to be a dad, because there's lots of dads that listen to and they need so much support, whatever that journey is, it's usually riddled with some trauma or some pain or some angst 
whether you got pregnant really quickly or it took you a long, long time, whatever the pathway, or maybe you're adopting or maybe you're foster, a lot of times we go into parenting thinking this feeling of lack that I have is going to be healed through my kids. Once I have kids, then I will have arrived. And we have this bit of destination addiction that once I get there, I'll, it will be the happy ever after. That's what we're told as a small child. My journey into parenting was very, very messy. We struggled with infertility. And so for six years, I told myself, this is your fault. We're not getting pregnant. You need to do this perfectly. You can't mess this up. You don't want to mess up the kids. You're putting all this financial stress on the family. You know, and finally we get pregnant. I remember holding my daughter. She's 14 now. And I remember holding her in the hospital with tears streaming down my eye, down my cheeks saying, you can't mess this up, Kelly. You, you have finally gotten here. It has been a messy and a beautiful road at once, but you finally got here and you cannot mess this up. And if we came from toxicity or we came from parents that weren't there for us, we try to right the wrongs and we try to be exactly the opposite of our parents. Or if our parents were extremely involved and always there for us and quote unquote, the perfect parent that we put on pedestal, we want to be just like them. And so we go through parenting trying to be not like our parents or trying to be just like our parents. And we put so much pressure on our own hearts to be perfect. And when that doesn't happen, because it cannot happen, then we get stressed, we yell, we scream, we snap. I didn't understand why I was such a snappy mom when I was such a calm and relaxed counselor and teacher. I would have situations at school that were very intense of first graders throwing chairs at me and I just stayed calm in the storm and I held the space and I knew what to do. But then when I, my kids would interrupt me on the phone, I turned into snappy turtle and I didn't recognize myself. And so I thought it was something wrong with my kids. I would tell my husband all the time, there's something that they need for me that I can't give them because I am failing at motherhood. And when I heard about B minus work, what it, and, and overall, it's like looking at your parenting and not wanting to be perfect, but shooting for the B minus. So your listeners, when they listen to things like our podcast and they read the books, usually they're overachievers and they're used to having straight A's and getting the A's and getting the good GPA. So when we go into parenting, we kind of grade ourselves because we're trained and we're programmed to get the straight A's. We get the honor roll. We get all the accolades. So then we're so hard on ourselves as parents and we want the straight A's and it could be through their, our kids' grades. It could be through their sports. It could be through their behavior. My A plus, I, I knew I was an A plus mom if my kids were happy all the time. That was the limiting belief that I had running in the background. Once I knew that they were happy, then that meant I was a good mom. And then I would give myself the A plus. Well, my kids were not happy all the time. They're still not happy all the time. And that was really hard for me to absorb and know what to do when they weren't happy. So then I found the B minus work through Brooke Castillo, my coach. And it just, like you said, it just let everything, let me off the hook a little bit to not be so hard on myself. Because when I was so hard on myself, I was so hard on my kids. And your firstborns, especially, they're usually perfectionists. They're usually overachievers. And so we put all of that pressure and all of that baggage onto our kids. And they usually nine out of 10 times will buckle under pressure. Some kids will get super vigilant and they'll be super compliant. And then other kids will just completely buck the system. And I had one of each and you don't want a child who's super compliant and does everything you do without, with everything you say without ever questioning it. But you also don't want a child who's just completely off the rails at all times. So finding that balance and B minus parenting is so much freedom, 
for not only you, but also for the, for the kids. Yeah, absolutely. And from listening to your podcast, I came to the awareness of, I was setting my a parenting as my kids behaving, following the rules, not throwing like literally being little robots that just mm -hmm. listened all the time, followed what I said, did what I said. And I was like, okay, that is obviously not realistic. And as an adult, that is actually a characteristic that people try to work through and detach from, right? Right. And with B minus parenting, I, I really remember too, something you had said on one of your episodes where it was like, not viewing your kids as an extension of yourself. So mm -hmm. viewing your kids and seeing your kids as them being their own individuals. And if they make choices that you are like, oh my gosh, like what was right. that? Whether, you know, if it's younger kids, it's like a tantrum or, or meltdown over something when they're teens, I'm sure it's other things. And we're going to talk about that, but not seeing my kids as an extension of myself. So if they were having a meltdown, that wasn't an extension of me that mm -hmm. when they were follow. And then likewise, you know, when they are winning at something or being good or, you know, get that gold star or whatever system from school. I'm not over exuding it and like making it about like, oh, that's because I'm just this awesome parent or I'm this crummy parent. It's that B minus hit so hard for me because it's so funny. I was always on like the B, B minus honor roll as a kid. Mm -hmm. My parents celebrated that. My parents were like, that is really great because you're not going to be good at everything. You're not going right. to be perfect at everything. And that's because my mom grew up in a perfectionistic household. So mm -hmm. she was like, and as parents, we're going to teach our kids two things, what they want to do and what they don't want to do. Right. And that was something that my mom took and was like, I don't want my kids to feel like they have to be this straight A, blah, 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 can't have like weaknesses or, you know, slip up on a test or whatever. And that served me. So that's why I clung to B minus honor roll or B minus <laughs> parenting. Cause I was like, yeah, I'm the B minus honor roll kid. Yes. It's so freeing because you can just see your children as their own throbbing spirit. I remember I was doing I was listening to The Conscious Parent, which the book completely changed my life. And I remember her saying in the audiobook, I was doing chess, and um, she said, your child is born with their own throbbing spirit to teach you where you need to grow. And I almost dropped the weights on my forehead because I was like, wait a minute, I don't have to be enmeshed and codependent and need them to be a certain way and act a certain way. Because I was really big, like you said, like with behavior and oh, manners yeah. and tantrums. Like that was where I was like, you and I, you know, as a former teacher and counselor, I was like, you will behave. I, I lecture them all the way to Chuck E. Cheese. I never taught them how to behave. I just expected them to behave because a lot of freedom also comes from your child is having a hard time versus giving you a hard time. When they are melting down like a puddle at Chuck E. Cheese, then they are going through something and they don't know how to express and feel their human emotions. And so we're just yelling at them and shaming them and putting them in, putting them in timeout, but not actually helping them during calm waters. Hey, what do you do when you get frustrated or you get overwhelmed or you get overstimulated? Because, you know, if you have an introverted child at Chuck E. Cheese at a birthday party, you know, that's a lot of pressure and that's a lot for them to absorb. And they just usually buckle. And so knowing that you have to teach your kids how to manage their emotions during calm waters helps not only the child, but it helps you. And they're like, oh, this chick's on my side. It's not me against her. It's me with her. Mm -hmm. I love that you even said that 
with, because that's a nugget I have clung to from listening to your podcast on your child is having a hard time, not giving you a hard time. And I remember repeating that to myself because with my firstborn, you know, as the situation mm-hmm. with your firstborn happens, I was over hype, over um, emphasizing some very normal but yet specific things to him. And now with the hindsight, I was just like, oh my gosh, he wasn't, he wasn't plotting against me as this right. toddler. He was having a hard time not giving me a hard time. And that's why I wanted to bring you on the show today. So my audience could really just get the vibe of you because with your podcast, Harmony in the Home, and when they go follow you and subscribe, they're going to look at each of your podcast titles and be like, what does this even mean? And every week I click on them being like, (laughs) what does Kelly even mean by this? And I get so many valuable gold nuggets. I think in the intro, I called it um insight and introspective like you get insight to what may be going on with your kids but it's like grace on grace for you yourself as the parent and grace on grace for your child as the kid and with, with that as the overlying theme that's held in your heart as a mom and a parent and your child feeling that i feel like whether you're walking through sleep regressions or toddler tantrums or the things that come with, you know, even I, I, sometimes I'm like, what would Kelly do? Because (laughs) I had my firstborn start school and I had the first message from the parent talking or from the teacher talking about an issue that was happening at school. And my brain like went into just overreactive mode. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. What does she think of me as the parent? What does she like? what does she think I'm like letting him get away with at home? Like what, what is he really like when he's at school? All of these things. And then I just, I literally put on an episode of yours and I was just, I recentered myself in that B minus parenting grace for me, grace for him as my child. And it just brought harmony to my home, which makes so oh, I'm chills. I I absolutely love it. So I thought something fun that we could do that would be very tangible for our listeners because how old are your kids? You said Lily, Lily. They're now 12 and 14. Yeah. And I was, I was miserable as a mom for like the first five years. It wasn't just like a phase. I was like, this is too hard. There there's, I'm failing every day. I would cry to my husband and he was like, listen, you're the educator and counselor. If you don't know what to do, why are you looking at me? It's like, he's the financial guy. And it's like me going to him or him coming to me and saying, I need some financial advice. I'm like, I don't know. There's something wrong. There's something I kept saying, there's something wrong with them. I think one of them has social anxiety. The other one has ADD. I just wanted to put a label on it so I could know what I was dealing with because I had resources upon resources. I had every sticker chart. I had every love and logic trick. I had it all like I had it for years upon years. And why was I so crazy at school? I was so so crazy at home, but so calm at school. And it realized like that was all the ego and the fear of not being good enough. And that's where I was parenting from. This is the most ironic part. I was so afraid of messing it up that I was parenting from this fear-based place. And ironically, that's where I was messing it up. And once I was able to detach and not see them belonging to me, but belonging to God and belonging to something much bigger than me. I could treat them kind of like I interacted with my students. Like those students didn't belong to me. They belonged to Bob and Susie. 
And that detachment of the ego and fear, not that it goes away, but it just allows you to like breathe into it and enjoy and to be in joy with your kids. And there's just no greater gift. And then they feel that coming from you and then they kind of relax into their own skin. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought it would be really fun to talk about and just give nuggets of wisdom. I love nuggets of wisdom and with your kids, you know, being older, but I feel like every mom, even if their kids are older, can remember what it felt like in certain phases and seasons. Mm -hmm. So we'll run through the different phases of motherhood and then just drop like, I wish I would have known this, or this is what, you know, you talk to if you have a lot of clients with kids in that age bracket or whatever. So what nuggets of wisdom would you give to the mom who is in newborn infant life? Well, first of all, when I was a newborn phase, I remember a girlfriend telling me every week it gets easier because when I when I thought the lack of sleep would be the hardest. But for me, it was just the overwhelm of like getting out the door, wanting to be perfect. And so I would say to that mom, you have 940 Saturdays between they're born and when they're grown and flown, whatever they decide to do in life and taking that pressure off of yourself. You're going to see lots of things on social media. You're going to get lots of advice. And no one knows your child or your baby better than you do. Like your souls are connected at such a deep level that you have to start to listen to your own intuition and your own voice. And it's going to be loud out there. And the mother-in-laws and the moms and the sisters and the brothers and the greedy, greedy grandpappies, they're all going to have opinions and that's okay. And it's okay that they're wrong and it's okay that you do things differently and it's okay to buck the system and be a B minus parent, especially when they're a newborn. Yeah. I, that's the same advice I give for that age of kids too. I'm like, trust your gut more than Google because yes. like when it comes to, do I formula feed or breastfeed? Do I do this or do that? Go with your gut more than Google because mm -hmm. I was all about looking for the best things instead of thinking about what was the best for me. And, um, that's yeah that phase it it also ends like i feel like yes. i remember being i remember being a mom my first one and i you know some people were like oh the first year flew by and i was like um he's two and a half i still feel like it's really <laughs> slow like really yes. really slow like has this two and a half years been 20 because i kind of feel like right. it and it ends it really it it does and i won't say that it flies by quickly but it does and like those phases and the sleep regressions and the tantrums even and and so that kind of brings us to the next phase which would be the toddlers the oh toddlers. those little toddlers i love the toddler age in hindsight i didn't love it when i was a parent because i was so unconscious and i didn't know what i was doing and i wanted my kids to be perfect and i wanted to be perfect and i didn't think they should ever cry or be upset or like cry about the banana being peeled wrong like, I was like, chill out, like, get over it. That was my like whole mantra was just like, why are you freaking out? And then what, this was the dynamic. My daughter would freak out that I gave the wrong sippy cup color or I gave the wrong, I peeled the banana wrong. That was like really big. And I was like walking on eggshells not to make her mad because she would cry and then I would get frustrated. And then my husband who's defensive of me would get frustrated and then we would double team her. And then my son was like, well, can you guys just like calm down? And he would start crying. It was like this, mm -hmm. this crazy domino effect. So during the toddler years, I would just really, 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 really drive home. I wish I could go back and do the toddler years. And that's why I talked to so many toddler moms, because I feel like it's like my penance to like for the guilt that I carry of the amount of snapping and, and just I was so tense and so walking on eggshells. 
your kids and our kids don't know what to do with their big human emotions. And so they're never taught what to do. And so during calm waters is the best way to practice role playing, use sticker charts as far as like the different emotions and different emotional charts to talk to them about what to do when you're feeling this frustration and modeling that for them. And you can make something up like, you know, you can pretend to drop a plastic dish and drop a bunch of them and, and talk out loud because our kids don't have any idea or any way of emotionally regulating. So what happens is they get upset, then they have a human emotion. Then we get upset that they're upset because we have some limited belief that they should be happy and well-behaved and just these little robots, like you said. And then they are associating shame and guilt with getting upset. And that makes them kind of, it's almost like uh, Brooke talks about holding the beach ball underneath water and that tension and that pressure of being happy all the time puts so much pressure on your emotional empathic kids that they just buckle because they know I can't be, I can't get upset because I know that I'm going to get in trouble and I'm going to disappoint the people that mean the most to me. And I don't want that. Your kids don't want to disappoint you. All they want is your approval, your acceptance. They want to know that they're good enough. Mm -hmm. And so when they're having their big emotion, they are like, girl, husband, dad, I mean, dad, mom, I don't know what to do. What do I do? And they look at us and then we're just mad that they're mad. And then, so that pressure of being happy all the time allows uh, most kids to buckle because they're like, oh God, oh, oh, here it comes, here it comes. And they don't know how they don't have any strategies. They don't have any tools. So during calm waters, teaching that role-playing it and then normalizing it when they do have their big emotions. And then also showing them what happens when you get frustrated or you get angry or you get sad, whatever their dominant emotion is that they can't handle, teach them through modeling. Like this is completely normal. This is part of the human experience. Nothing has gone wrong. And then they can kind of settle and then they start to have strategies to pull from. Just like when we're teaching, oh, I'll talk about it with the school-age child. This is, this is, I'm sure they're coming next to school-age child. Yeah, you're going right into the young kids. Yep. Yeah, so I, once they get into elementary school, like I used to teach first grade and that was my jam, teaching a first grader how to read. That was like my favorite thing to do. And the best way to teach a child how to read is you model it by, you know, reading a big book on the, on the rug. And, and there's so many different levels in a, in a classroom of 20, 25 kids that we're going over words. When we get to a word, we don't know what to do. What are some different strategies that we can do with the big book? And some kids are just learning sight words. Some kids are reading chapter books. So it's a great way as a group to teach, hey, what do you do when you get to the word together? Oh, you chunk it. Oh, you sound it out. Oh, you use picture clues. And so we kind of together read it together, the, the, the book. And we say, oh, the word to and get and her, they're all together. So now we're going to put that together. Look at you. You're using such great re- reading strategies. So we kind of give them lots of strategies. Then we go to guided reading, which we're sitting in a small group. And I'm sitting with, you know, five kids and they're all on the same reading level around about. And then we're teaching strategies that are more on their level because, you know, some kids might be sounding things out. Some kids might be working on author's purpose. So that's another area that we help them read. And then the, the best part to teach them how to read is give them books on their level, their sweet spot, their Goldilocks book, not too hard, not too easy. And they read independently. And then they kind of figure it out along the way. Mm-hmm. So that same concept is what we can use with our school age or any child is teaching them as a group like as a family unit, what do you do when you get upset? Then teaching them in a small setting where it's you and the child or children role-playing and then modeling it for them. And what do they do when they get to an emotion they don't know what to do with? What does mom do? What does dad do? That's what they're going to go to. And then giving them opportunities to practice that is the best way that they can teach 
we can teach them emotional regulation and then they can practice it and we can reinforce it like, hey, you did a good job figuring out what, what to do when emotion came up. And then when they don't do it well and they're in calm waters, I always talk about the, the green stage where they're you know, just calm every day, then yellow when you kind of feel it hyping up and then red is like full blown. So when they're in the back in the green stage and they're back in the, in the center part of their heart and their head, you could be like, hey, what happened there? What was going on for you? That was like a lot of emotions that came up. And then you can say like, when you're having those big emotions, what, you know, when they're older, what can I do to help you during those, those times? Because I was trying X, Y, Z, and that didn't really hurt. So what could I do next time? And then they're like, oh, this, this lady's on my side. Yeah, I keep smacking my desk here because I'm like, yes, Kelly. <laughs> um, but, you know, even kind of going back to your toddler advice, that was so good. And I hope the listeners caught the example of um, like role playing and experience. So I remember when my kids were like, it felt like they were always spilling. Like, and I remember getting that concept of like, let's role play what I would ideally like to happen here. So there was a time where I literally like knocked something over and I was like, oh my goodness, mom spilled. That happens. That happens. I'm going to get a towel and I'm going to wipe it up. And then, you know, even I felt like that type of practice for me made it so when we were at the dinner table, when we were at the lunch table or when they were out and drinking a cup at a restaurant, it's like, that response and reactiveness wasn't, oh my God, it was like, oh my gosh, there's a spill. What can we get to clean it up? And now I have noticed, and trust me, I'm like the ultimate B minus parent. So (laughs) I give that one example because it's the one that I can be like, woohoo, yay me. But I was like, oh, this is how I see how role, like that role playing could Mm -hmm. play into. And then when you're talking about um, young kids, I think you're really emphasizing character development instead of achievement development when it comes to kids. And I even caught myself, my, my oldest is only in kindergarten and I had to catch myself where it was like, I wasn't over praising him for, Oh my gosh, you're so advanced in comparison to whatever and, and going into advanced reading and all of this. It was like, I really had to emphasize like kindness and respect and including others. And so I absolutely love that. Now we'll roll into preteen and teens. What is it? And something I think I would like to emphasize on in the question kind of wisdom or nuggets for preteen and teen moms. Um, cause I think it, it's so important to build connection and relationship with your kids. Mm-hmm. What do you feel like for preteens and teens really will help parents build that connection with them in those ages? Oh, that's such a great question. Cause I think that the work that you do when they're little pays off when they're teenagers. And it's almost like, it's almost like having a, a crush at someone. If you've ever been in an office place and crushes aren't allowed, but you have to like super play it cool. And your vibe has to be like, really that like. It has it's to be so very funny. It's so relaxed. funny you say this because my husband and I met at the gym and we had to we had to play it cool for like four months before we told our boss we were to Oh my goodness. They get the that's so crazy. That's exactly what it's like when they have a teen. You have to play it cool. Everything's no big deal. We say NBD. Yes. And it's almost like they're yes. coming to you versus you always going to them. And well, how was lunch today? And what'd you get on the test? And how's, how was baseball? And like just peppering them with questions. You just play it cool. You want to say all those things. Like my son gets in the car. I want to ask him all those things. And how was this? And how was that? 
how was the chicken nuggets today? But it just has to come out naturally. And then I'm just, he's kind of in the driver's seat. My husband, he was on the podcast, I think episode 100. And he said, he said, it's kind of like being an umpire at the game. You kind of want to like do a good job and be like the backbone of the game, but you don't want to like upset all the parents. And you just kind of want to like be the unsung hero of the game, like not make any crazy calls, but you know, for the most part, nobody really notices you. And it's a way to like breed connection because they know that you have their back and they're going to go off into the world because it's so crazy when they're little, they're literally attached to your hip. And then you teach them the strategies, you teach them character and you teach them all the rights from wrongs. And then they're out of your sight for so long and it's so bizarre. But then you know that like they're, you are their, their, your anchor, you're their safe spot. You, you, that's why I always try to encourage parents to have so much harmony within the home that it is that that safe harbor that they can come back to because they do grow and they do go out and they're at volleyball and they're at baseball and they're at friends' houses for sleepovers and they're away more than you can even imagine. And even practice is like two and a half hours long, but they know that like when they come home, there's not a lot of stress. So they can mm -hmm. carry that sense of anchor into their life. And you can, and I know it sounds cheesy, but you literally are the wind beneath their wings versus like being their wings when they're younger. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I'm glad you brought up too. And the like my friends, when you go listen to Kelly's podcast, you'll hear more of the NBD, like no big deal, no big deal. Mm -hmm. And I know that is going to be, so you should continue to podcast for the next 10 years. So I continue to hear this lesson over and over again, because I'm a very reactive person. I'm a very active listener. I mean, and I know that it will be important for me as a mom if my if i want my kids to bring tough topics to me my attitude and energy should be more of that like nbd cool as a cucumber instead of like oh my god so and so dead what and how'd you respond and that's not right and you should have did this and blah, 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 you know and like start clucking back at them all of the things and I love that NBD where it's like, oh, that happened. Okay, no, we're going to play it cool for a little bit, you know. And right. We talked about the green light, yellow light, like the green, red, yellow. And remembering even as like preteens and teens, you know, if they're in a red zone, let them feel through it. Because sometimes they got hormones and all those kinds of things going mm -hmm. on, right? And then coming back to it when it's green, have you found like that is way more beneficial or are teens usually like, mom, don't bring that back up again? Well, I don't actually use the, the colors anymore with them, obviously. But I think the best thing is when they're frustrated with something outside of you, like a friend or a sport or a teacher or a grade, they're going to come to you and they're going to be so upset. This is a good way to practice it. They're going to be so upset about X, Y, Z that happened. And we want to go straight into fixing it because we are so uncomfortable that they are so upset because we don't want them to be upset. We want them to be happy. We want everything, everybody to treat them nicely. We want them to just have harmony all throughout their day. And that doesn't happen ever because life is 50-50. Sometimes it's awesome. And sometimes we have tricky emotions. So when they come to you, this is so big for teens. And this is when they will come to you about all the things. When they come to you with this big thing that happened, a, a coach yelled at them or a teacher yelled at them for dropping a pencil or something that happened and they're really upset about it. We want to go, I'll email them, I'll fix it. I'll, I'll, I'll go in and talk to the teacher. I'll go, we just, or we didn't, and everybody said it was at lunch. Well, I'll call the parent and then make sure that we just want to sit with their emotions and be like, wow, that must've been so hard. That must've been so lonely. It seems like you're feeling rejected. It seems like, I love the, um, I'm in a dementia support group because I have a family member with dementia and he taught me 
something so key that I use so much now. And he says, instead of trying to fix the person with dementia and try to talk them out of it, like I just told you, or which we don't do, but he said, use seems like, feels like, looks like. Use one of the three. It seems like you're feeling this. It seems like, it feels like you're overwhelmed at school. It looks like you're really upset. Depending on the age, it can you can use it at so many levels. When they're young, you use happy, sad. When they're older, you can say things like projection and you've taught them a deeper level of emotional, like emotional literacy, so to speak. So you can tap into those bigger emotions and you can use those words and you don't have to fix anything. You just have to sit with it. Just like if you were to call me and say, I've had a really tough day at work, my boss, this, that. And I would say, well, I'll call your boss. I'll fix it. I can't believe that. And, and like you said, like get all barking back at them. Versus if I were to say that, you'd be like, you know, that's not very supportive. I'm not going to call Kelly again. Versus like, I know how that feels. I've been there too. That completely stinks. And so that it breeds connection. Even when they're upset, you can still breed that connection. And when you have connection with your kids, whatever the age, you will have much more cooperation. Because when we are just this control freaks, which I completely am, I'm a control enthusiast. I try to tell when we are just control and we don't want a plus and we accept perfection, they just buckle under that pressure and then they stop coming to us and it just, they, they buck the system, so to speak. Some people complete, completely compliance. And then when they're older, they don't know how to think for themselves. Whereas others, they get, their behavior just gets stronger and bigger and louder, which we don't want either of those. So when you have connection, you will have much more cooperation at any age. Oh, this was absolutely gold. And I will make sure to leave the link to your podcast, Harmony in the Home. My people are podcast people, you know, so I ah. want to make sure that we send them your way via the podcast. Once again, I'll say it again and again, Harmony in the Home, which I love the name of that. I love all of your episodes. And thank you so much, Kelly, for being on here today. Thank you so much. It's such an honor and I really appreciate it. My friend, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm recording this outro after the fact, re-listening to Kelly and what she talks about. I still keep in touch with what she shares every week on her podcast, Harmony in the Home. And for me, motherhood is not what I thought it was going to be, especially when I became a mom. I was like, I am not showing up how I thought I would have as a mom. I'm seeing a lot of perfectionistic parenting on social media, and I just think Kelly, what she teaches on her podcast, it's a breath of fresh air, and that B-minus parenting is something that I remind myself of again and again and again, because I don't want my kids growing up with perfectionistic tendencies, and that starts with me being reflective on that myself and how I am showing up. So hope you enjoyed this episode. If you enjoyed Kelly, check out her podcast, Harmony in the Home. If you liked this episode or want to hear more parenting topics and concepts and things of that nature, send me a message on Instagram and let me know. I know the sound quality of this podcast was a little bit different. Kelly had to record on the fly, but it was still just such great information. And I hope you enjoyed it. I will talk to you in the next episode.